NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's get the weekend started with a little help from my rock and roll friend, Hall of Famer Duff McKagan, and the famous, infamous joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you from Amsterdam, the land of uh, wooden clogs. Uh, Susan says hi. Uh, they got wooden clogs. They got, uh, you know, the pots everywhere in the uh, cafes. The prostitution is a is a uh, just uh, open here, and um, I was I was gonna um, uh, ask you a question. Do you know why the farmer won the Nobel Prize? He was outstanding in his field. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Duff never lets us down, uh, or or never lets us up, depending what side of the coin you are. Even in the middle of Guns N' Roses sold out European summer tour, still calling in the jokes every week to talk as Jericho. Thanks, Duff. You are a funny, funny dude. And speaking of funny guys, today, Bruce Pritchard from one of the hottest wrestling podcasts out there right now, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, is on Talk is Jericho. He's finally making his solo debut, uh, returning. He was on with uh, Eric Bischoff a few years ago. But he's going to talk about Houston wrestling and Paul Bosch, one of the most famous promoters of all time. That's where Bruce got his start, doing everything from selling merch to ring announcing to running TV. We did this podcast while I was in Houston, and I wanted to talk to Bruce about Houston wrestling. So he told us all about the famous Houston legends, Wahoo McDaniel, Jose Lothario, Gino Hernandez, why and how Bruce left Houston for Vince McMahon in the WWE, and then what happened when Vince took over the Houston territory. Talking also about his uh, very, very popular podcast, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard coming up, and so is Fozzie's Summer Tour. We are starting back up tonight at the Rock USA Festival in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Then we're going to be uh, on Friday over in Kadat. Saturday is Peoria. Sunday in Belvedere, Illinois. Go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket and VIP information. And then we go to Europe, and then we go do the Judas Rising Tour again in August with Adelita's Way, the Stir Stone Broken, joining us this time around. Like I said, FozzyRock.com, all the ticket information, uh, and it's also the place to buy Fozzy's VIP meet and greets, world-renowned. We will play a little mini-set for you, an exclusive mini-set just for Fozzy's VIPs. Hang out, take pictures, all that stuff. So come rock with us and be a part of one of the best VIP meet and greets in the entire business. Lots of great gigs coming up all across the planet, 
all across the United States. Go to FozzyRock.com to find out all the ticket information. And uh, speaking of information, let's get to Bruce Pritchard. Something to Jericho with Bruce Pritchard right here on Talk is Jericho. Okay, so we're in the back of the uh, Fozzie tour bus, and there's actually a bed back here, so it's uh, it's really weird. For the first time ever, there's a, we're in like a, have our own little rooms. So it's a little bit cramped, but I'm here um, with, with Bruce Pritchard, who, if you didn't know, he has a podcast called Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Uh, you would by seeing him because he's wearing a Something to Wrestle shirt, a Something to Wrestle hat, and I think it's a Brother Love Something to Wrestle t-shirt. I mean, yeah. come on, dude. Well, in case you, again, in case you didn't know, uh, you will by, <laughs> by the by the end of the night, somehow, some way. <laughs> but that's great to see you got your daughter here. Um, I was just going to say, you know, Chris, it's, it's strange for us two old dudes. We're in the back, as you say, we're in the back of a rock and roll bus. Yeah. We got a 19-year-old little girl know, on the bed. Here and and it's funny too because we're sitting on the side. If the guys came on the bus and see this girl back here, it'd be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But um, I'm glad that you brought her. I'm glad that you're here. And I want to talk about a couple things. But first of all, there's two guys in the business over the last year and a half, two years, that went from basically nothing to now like completely in the spotlight calling your own shots and the first one is Don Callis who went from working for the Manitoba government to commentating New Japan to having a very successful podcast and now he's running Impact Wrestling and then you got Bruce Pritchard here who basically came I mean the last time I saw you before this we did a, the podcast with Bischoff and right. you in Philly and you were like I don't you were doing were you selling cars or something? Were, were, were <laughs> I had sold cars for about three weeks at that time. I wow, that's scary. Me, that's right? scary. You and remember that? Was 2015. That. Yeah, and I was I was out of the business. I was done, moving on, and uh, yeah. no more wrestling business for me. And then they sucked me back in. <laughs> <laughs> My God, it was we like, come escaped. back. You can't. No, you, no, you really can't. How did you get sucked back in? I went. You know, I went from. Uh, just being out of everything to I met Conrad Thompson, who's my yeah. co-host. He has a mortgage company and I started selling mortgages, started working, doing mortgages with Conrad. One day we're sitting at his house in Huntsville, Alabama, and he would always ask me questions like, hey, what happened when? And he'd give me an example. Mm-hmm. And I would just go off and start telling stories. And he asked me about Eddie Guerrero and, and Benoit and Dean Malenko and the radicals when they came over. And I told him this long, convoluted story about how all that took place. He looked at me and said, man, that's a podcast. I said, yeah, right. That's something never going to happen. Mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable sharing those kind of stories in the public forum. And he kept on me, and we recorded uh, three or four pilot shows, if you will. And here I am. Uh, and finally, I, I actually get to be a guest on your show. <laughs> but it, it's it's amazing to me because, like I said, there's there's a lot of wrestling podcasts, and um, you know, after because we kind of reconnected in that Philly thing because you know you don't see right. somebody for a while, and, and it's not like we ever not that we weren't friends, but you don't really keep in touch. And then so so when I heard that you had one, and it's funny too because God bless him when Flair started doing his podcast with Conrad. 
Um, you know, we both know that it probably wasn't going to last very long because Rick is Rick. <laughs> but I had heard Conrad a couple times, and then when I found out that he was doing one with you, and then kind of listening to it, I really enjoyed. I don't listen to all of them because there's some that I just wasn't really uh, connected with. But the one that I just listened to was the um, Evil Twin referee Hebner Hebner uh, from Andre, the main event. Yeah, main event. Yes. Andre and Hulk. Hulk. And I remember I was going to call you and tell you this. I wanted to save it for the show. Is that? I was super, super fan. Me and my friend uh, Wallace was his nickname. And I was working at a deli and I had to miss it. And I said, w w whatever happens, you got to come tell me. And I'll never forget, he came running into the deli. He's like, you're not going to believe what happened. What? There was an evil twin referee and, and he had dollars falling out of his, his money. He had plastic surgery. And, he, and I was like, what? What do you mean? Hulk lost the title? You couldn't believe how huge of a deal it was that Hogan lost the title to the evil twin referee. And just hearing the whole description behind it, it was really cool. And if you can imagine, you know, for where the business is now, where the WWE is now and how they do business. I was running the gorilla position, which is the position right before the wrestlers go out, timing the show, giving the cues and everything. And you were like, what, you said like 24 years old? Or uh, I was exactly 24. Yeah. And... Vince asked me before he went out to do commentary, he said, do you have the finish for a uh, Hogan match? And I said, uh, I in my head, I had the finish. I knew we were switching the title, but I didn't have the finish. He says, and I said, well, I know what we're doing. He goes, do you know how we're doing it? I said, do I need to know? <laughs> and he laughed and he said, nope, you don't. But if you want to know, I said, I'll watch it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like everybody else, absolutely amazed watching the whole thing go down because for me, the last person I talked to before they went out was Earl Hebner. I thought it was Dave. So I'm talking to him. I think I'm talking to Dave Hebner and so, it was Earl. Because Earl was the guy who did the run in. Dave ref the match. No, Earl, Earl refereed the match. Dave came in. Dave after. did the run in. Unbelievable. And it's it, you know. And what happened in case you didn't see it or don't remember is that basically uh, Hogan lost to a fast count, and then suddenly another referee appears who looks exactly like the ref who did it. And there was twins, the Hebner twins, Hebner right. brothers. Did you know that Dave had a twin? No, I didn't. So worst. I know worst kept secret in in. in in wrestling, and obviously they both worked for Jim Crockett before that, but I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And I just started, uh, not I hadn't even been in the WWF at that point for even a year, so I just knew Dave. Mm -hmm. And I didn't didn't know Earl, but I, again, hindsight being twenty twenty after the fact, and I'm, I'm talking Earl going, I, I'm looking at both of them, and obviously Earl's a lot skinnier than Dave, but I'm thinking, you refereed the match. He says, yeah. He says, hi, Earl. Wow. It's unbelievable. Once again, just how the business was back then before there was, you know, Twitter, or Internet, or other stuff. Right. Because, you know, I followed wrestling very strictly, but only WWE. I'd never heard of a Earl Hebner being around. But that's the type of stuff I love about hearing on your show. And I remember when you first started doing the podcast, we were talking, and you couldn't believe right off the bat how huge the show came uh, very quickly. I still am shocked, actually, yeah. because it's... Conrad and I joking and we say, you know, it's brother love and the mortgage guy doing a podcast <laughs> and we're, we're this, this huge podcast that does all these downloads and who'd have thunk it? I mean, really and truly who'd have thunk it? Because for me, the other thing that I said to Conrad, I said, who the hell cares? I can't stand to listen to myself for three minutes, much less three hours. You get going too. Sometimes it's four hours. Yeah. yeah. And 
and they do and and it's uh it's extremely humbling to tell you the truth that people actually tune in listen to your stuff and then they interact back and forth well, once again you've had such a long career and in that time you were off was maybe the only time in the last 30 odd 35 years whatever it may be before i want to talk a little bit about when you first started in houston wrestling but i also want to ask you kind of mentioned in passing was it hard for you at first to accept the fact that it's okay to open the door and did you get heat from anybody because at first i was like vince is not gonna like this <laughs> did you ever hear anything at all about it no for me I was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There are, in a lot of respects, for a lot of the stories that I tell, there are three people that can tell the same stories that I tell from that perspective. And that's myself, Pat Patterson, and Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. And for now, they ain't talking. No, they will now. And they're going to talk. They, they probably and never Vince will. will talk. I asked Vince one time he was going to write a book. He's like, absolutely not. Why would I write a book? And I'm like, oh, what a book it could be. But then again, like you said, so they're not telling anything. You're the only one. And and I do it in a way out of out of respect for them and out of respect for the business. I try to do it in an entertaining way from my perspective. Uh, you and I were talking beforehand. It, it, it's interesting because everybody has their own version of, of events. And right. I can go and I can talk to to Vince and I can have a conversation with him and he'll tell me one thing. You can go and have a conversation with him and he'll tell you something completely different. Mm. Neither one of us are wrong and or lying. It's a different version and it's a different Vince and it's a different It's your situation. Of the story, yeah. Right. So when people say, Oh no, that's not how it happened, it's like, well wait a minute. Yeah, it is. It's exactly how it happened, happened with me. You, right. And it may not have been what happened. Uh, Vince may have told. And my other favorite is when guys say, "Well, I was promised the belt." <laughs> Vince promised me a championship run, mm -hmm. and you've heard it a million times. I I can hear it too. Where Vince can, yeah, damn, I could see you as the WWE champion mm -hmm. in their head. Vince told me I'm going to be the champ. But also too, there are times like <laughs> I, I told the story where two years ago Vince had a meeting with me and said, "Here's what we're going to do." You're going to beat Kevin Owens for the world title at WrestleMania. You know, it's, 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 it's finally, it's what I want to do. And then you're going to lose it to Brock the next month, right before I left. And then the whole thing went down with Brock and Goldberg. And they did the whole thing where Goldberg beat him in two minutes. And then the next week, Vince is like, yeah, well, it's now Brock is going to beat Goldberg for the title. And uh, we're going in a different direction. Now, I didn't flip out and get angry because I get it. Things, Things change. change. So even saying I was promised the belt, even if you were promised, that's such a bad word. You were told you were going to win the title, like I was. When it changed a week later, I wasn't angry about it or pissed off about it. It's how the business works. So for guys to say that, it's you know, you hate to say, what, a, what a mark, what a marky thing to say. Exactly, because you know? every everything changes, and when guys sit there and talk about, well, he promised me this. No, he talked about an idea with you. Right. And that idea is going to have many machinations as it get, goes on and on. And it was funny. We, we again, we're, we should have just recorded when I walked in the door. <laughs> well, so we were talking to Rich Ward from Foster, yeah. who's a huge wrestling fan and appreciates the stuff that you were telling him and understands it, you know? And, and Rich asked, he said, he goes, well, does everybody have that same opportunity? Everyone on the roster has the opportunity to talk to Vince and pitch their ideas and ask him any question you want. The issue comes down to when you get in front of him, are you going to shit the bed or are you going to be able to pitch your idea right. in a way that Vince is going to accept it and embrace it? Mm -hmm. And are you going to be able to accept what he 
tells you one one of the favorite stories, and I forget who was just bringing this up the other day. Pat, Pat, you remember Bastion Booger? Yeah, Mike Shaw. Mike Shaw. Okay, big star in in Calgary, uh, Muck and Sing, and he was the best territory heel, which doesn't translate to a national, but for the territory, he right. was great. And he he had been Norman the Lunatic in WCW and done some other things, and he came up to the WWF. Vince saw him as the Mad Monk. Mm-hmm. Shaved his head into this goofy little thing, and it was one of the worst things you'd ever want to see. So bad it never even aired. The Friar and, Ferguson, Friar Ferguson, and and the Mad Monk. It was terrible. So Vince says, "Well, maybe they won't accept him as a heel. What if we make him a babyface?" Didn't care. It was horrible. It was just a blob moving in the ring, and in this whole, you know, neck to toe outfit it looked like a giant muumu. It was terrible. He says, what are we going to do with him? He's gross. He's fat. He's missing teeth. He's this. And it's like, I threw out a name, Bastion Booger, because it sounds disgusting. (laughs) And he looked like a Bastion Booger. Right. Before I knew it, we had Bastion Booger. Bastion was uh, concerned about his bookings one day. He came over to Pat and he's talking and saying, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not getting enough work. I, I'm, I'm not getting any bookings. What do I do? Can you guys help me out? I said, right there is Vince's office. Walk in there. And I said, just tell him. Tell him you need more bookings. Tell him, you know, what you what you want to do and get, tell him your feelings. We, we're not going to control it. He is. Mm-hmm. So Mike goes and knocks on the door, goes in, walks out. Pat and I are still sitting in the exact same spot. And we go, well, Mike, you feel better now? He goes, um, I don't know. Well, what did he say? He gave me my notice. <laughs> I told him I was unhappy, and Vince took his book out and said, well, if you're unhappy, you shouldn't be here. Uh, you finish up. Uh, how's Youngstown sound? I finished him up right there. And he didn't know how to react to that. He had no comeback for that <laughs> for that answer to his dilemma. Right. He was looking for more bookings. Mm-hmm. And he went in, and instead of saying, hey, I want some more bookings, what can I do? He went in and said, I'm unhappy. And oh, God, if you're unhappy, let's change that. You, go. Hey, you, you want to be happy? Yes, I do, Vince. All right. My God, let's get you off the road. <laughs> but, I mean, that's like you said. But I did that actually one time with, with Snitsky. Where he was unhappy. And I said, well, you got to go talk to Vince. It's the only way. Same thing happened. He went in there. A week later, Vince gave him his notice. But at least you know. Right. You rather- know, at least you know rather than just be floundering and doing nothing. And, you know, I mean, I, I think especially in those days when the more – if you didn't work, you didn't make any money. There was no guarantees. Exactly. And the other thing about it is that the key thing, you know. You don't have to wonder. Right. You don't have to guess. Does he like me? Does he not like me? Go in and find out. Yeah, either in or you out. Yeah. What, what's the what, what's some of the? I mean, Bastion Burgers got to be up there. What are some other really bad gimmicks that you remember from being from being there? <laughs> well, it depends on what your version of bad gimmicks is, but we we had our share of them without a doubt. Like Mantor. Mantor. He's half man, half beast. You know how I got to be Mantor because his feet looked like hooves. His feet were so damn big and thick <laughs> that they looked like hooves and vince looked at him and says my god yeah you do, do you do you shoehorn him or what and <laughs> thought that he looked like 
of Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mantar. He's half man, half beast. We'll, we'll make him Mantar. And then we put this silly buffalo head thing on him that he couldn't get into the ring with. And it was absolutely <laughs> god-awful. The... Somebody asked me one of the worst outfits had to be Giant Gonzalez. That oh, was the, the one thing I never understood. And Vince's whole rationale behind that was, he doesn't have any muscles, we'll paint them on. And it came from an outfit Warrior War one time, which right. was spray-painted, you know. That, That's uh, what people thought that the Ultimate Warrior was replaced by another Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, his little brother. His yeah. little brother. Well, the thing so. with Giant Gonzalez, too, it wasn't just the muscles painted on it. He had, like, furry shoulders and stuff he's like trying to make him half a sasquatch oh god it was terrible (laughs) undertaker undertaker hasn't forgiven me to this day (laughs) for wrestlemania that's one thing about taker i I was talking to him you know whenever and i was like dude i mean you had so many great matches in a row you know he's like he's like hey man it wasn't always like that i was owed some good opponents after the ones i had at first and we were thinking about it we're like there was a curtis hughes and there was a giant gonzalez and there was a jimmy snooka and there was king kong bundy king kong bundy and Um, you know yeah. Uh, the list goes on and on of guys that weren't really up to snuff at that point in time. But but we knew that if we put him in the ring with Taker, Taker would get a match out of him and, and it all would be forgiven because it was Undertaker. Right, but, uh, right. yeah, we owed him a few, <laughs> without a doubt. And he would hold that over my head constantly. <laughs> NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Bruce, you talked about being in business for so long and... We're in Houston, and I want to talk a little bit about, about the about Houston wrestling and Paul Bosch. And you know, I've been in the business for twenty, almost twenty-eight years, and I've always heard about about this area, but don't really know much about it. Everyone knows Dallas, and then you know, like the Funk area, Amarillo, and right. all those areas. But you, did you started in Houston? Did you start with Paul Bosch? I did when I was ten years old. Ten started selling pro, uh, posters in the crowd. Mm-hmm. There were a group of kids. We each got four posters. And we got a, uh, not a nickel, we got a quarter, a poster. The poster was $1. And we were given sections of the crowd to go up and sell posters. And I ran up, I sold my four posters immediately. Came back down, got more. Mm-hmm. Went up, sold those, came back down, got more. I made $12 that night. Mm. The rest of the kids, most of them didn't even sell one. They just were fiddle farting around and everything. So they said, hey, you want to sell posters on a weekly basis? They put me in the ring before the matches and during intermission to sell posters. I made damn good money at 10 years old. You know, 10 years old, and you're making 12, 10 bucks What's the a week. What venue was it? The Sam Houston Coliseum downtown. Wow. We ran every Friday night. That's about 8,000 uh, cap? Uh, I was probably Five? 10. I mean, no, we could, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was every Friday night in the Sam Houston Coliseum. Mm. So growing up here, uh, Paul had a ticket office. It was wrestling ticket office. Open from Monday, it was open Monday through Friday from 9 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. Tickets and information were available during that time. Paul got his mail at 9.30 every morning. He would come out of his back office, come to the front office, and get his mail. If we had a day off of school or any kind of holiday, my mom would take us to the office so that we were there, 9.15, 9.20, because Paul Bosch came out at 9.30 to get the mail. 
And we'd say, hey, Paul Bosch, how are you? Is this you and Tom? Tom, yes. Wow. Is Tom older or younger? He's four years older. Okay, gotcha. So Paul would would see us and, hey, how you guys doing? And he would bring us back to his office, which meant we got to go down the forbidden hallway, which had all the pictures lined on it. And then you get into Paul's office, which he's got all these uh, just plaques and statues and a bunch of stuff, which a lot of it I now have in my office. So you'd go back and Paul would always talk to us because he knew how much we loved wrestling. And we were those kids that were always there. And he would he took a liking to us. So when I had a report about wrestling or interviewing Paul Bosch, I could go in and interview Paul Bosch. Mm-hmm. Tom, 14 at the time, was into photography. Paul let him take pictures around the ring, which, again, this was a big th- You're talking, this is 1973. Wow, yeah. And... That was a big deal. You know, Bill After and George Napolitano, only photographers. Now there's a 14-year-old kid down there doing it. Right. So when there were things to be done, we got the nod. Something needed to be done. Hey, they'll do it. When I was 12, we did a a television show Friday night, recorded the matches. It aired on uh, Saturday in here in Houston, Channel 39. Well, the assistant dire- assistant director, notice that big title, all right? <laughs> assistant director gave Paul the cues, the, the commercial cues, all right, and would count him down. You know, he had 30 and then 15 and then 10, 5. I was 12. I was assistant director of the TV show. Wow. Which is where I learned how to add and subtract time. Now, for most people, you think of, you know, adding and subtracting a math in 10s. I think of everything in 60s. Because 60 seconds equals a minute, 60 minutes equals an hour. So I had to learn this when I was 12 years old, and I could, add, man, I could time a show out like nobody. And so many years later in the WWE, I was the one that timed out all when the shows. When I first came to WWE, you, you also would do the time right. during during Raw. Right. Five minutes left, four minutes left, and you passed it over to Jerry Briscoe. Exactly. Right. And so that was, and, and people would ask me, I'll never forget Stephanie McMahon coming to me and say, I need you to teach me how to time a show. And I thought about it for a minute. I go, I don't know how. I mean, I, I know how I do it, but so much of it was a feel. And it was, you just looked at it and you felt it. And you knew what to do, and then I knew where to chop and, and where to take things out. But then I was I was 14. The ring announcer didn't show up, Boyd Pierce. I was uh, We had a big flood here, and he couldn't make it in. I was wearing jeans and a Hobie a surf shirt. <laughs> they said, Bruce, you want to announce? I was yeah. You never said no. Right. Okay, and that was the key. You never, no matter how bad the job was or what it was, he never said no. So I was the ring announcer. And the first thing I did was ask people to stand for the playing of our natural anthem. <laughs> the first match was weighing in at 250 pounds from Yokohama, Japan, Tora Tanaka. And I, Yokohama? Yeah. Then I called it y- Yokohama. So it, it was, and then, you know, that was 14, 16, I was refereeing. But what uh, company is this? What's it called? Okay, Houston Wrestling. Now, Houston, see, so here, here's the difference. Houston was run. It was one town. Paul booked it. He used the Dallas booking office, which was owned by Jack Atkinson, Fritz Von Erich. But Paul would, would use them for his main base of talent. But he would also bring in the male Moscuses of the world superstar billy graham he brought guys in from all over the country just to work houston and ball and paul booked it 
So whatever storylines, and he had his own TV. We did Friday, and it aired Saturday and Sunday. He didn't use Fritz's TV, so he didn't pay for TV. He paid a booking fee for the guys he used, but he ran his own angles, and he ran it as his own little territory for this one town. Oh, so let me just ask. So, so let's say let's say I was I was working in Dallas, and I don't know. Say it's me versus Kerry Von Eric. So Dallas on you know Monday, and then there's San Antonio, and then there's Amarillo. But when you came to Houston on a Friday, that would be a town on your loop, but yes. it was basically a different universe run by Paul Bosch. Correct. Gotcha. And wow, it would also make your week. Payoff-wise. Payoff-wise. I always heard he was a great payoff. He was a great payoff guy. And the, the funny thing, Jim Cornette and I were talking about this a few months ago. He had Fritz's booking books. And in the booking book, he had the, the houses for all the towns. Mm -hmm. And you would look, and, and you're going back in the 70s and things like that. So consider that. But you know, Dallas, $4,600. That's the house. Mm -hmm. You know, Fort Worth, uh, $3,000. Uh, Abilene. Twenty eight hundred bucks here. If I Houston, twenty two thousand. Wow. So it was wow. It was where they drew the money. But Paul also had Paul had a high guarantee. Mm -hmm. His lowest guarantee was high. Right. He took really good care of the guys. So if you're in the Dallas territory, you wanted to be booked in Houston. Right. Now, unfortunately for you, if you're working with Kerry Von Eric in Dallas, chances of you working with Kerry in Houston ain't happening because he's not using the kids. Oh, so he wouldn't do that either. Paul, yeah, Paul. So who would he use kids. as the top guys? Jose Lothario was was one of his top guys right. who was from the San Antonio end. Jose didn't didn't work a lot in Dallas. He was still booked in there, but if Jose worked Dallas, he was in the like special event mm -hmm. or a prelim. In Houston, he was on top, drawing huge money. So, Paul would book it individually like that. Gino Hernandez, same thing. Gino came up, and Gino was the hometown boy, uh, Louis Hernandez's uh, stepson, and so on and so forth. He and trained by Jose, so it was a story for Houston. Jose was the top babyface. He brings along Louis Hernandez's son, Gino Hernandez, and then Gino turns on him. Nineteen seventy-eight. All right. If you can imagine, the only town Gino worked was Houston. Once a week? Once a week. And he's making two, three, four, five grand a week. Wow. Now, we're talking 1978. Oh, my goodness. And with no travel? With no travel. He's, he's home in Houston. He's coming in. And then all of a sudden, they realize, well, man, this Gino's catching on fire. So then Gary Hart would use him more in Dallas and, and different things. The difference was they didn't have Jose, the parent. The story was Jose, the mentor and the, and the, and the kid. And we shaved Gino's head here, and then we did something that, which you know, was unheard of, too, in the business. Yeah, Gino Hernandez, uh, the top heel. Again, Jose Lothario, the top baby face. Gino, they have a hair match. Shave Gino's head. Awesome. Everybody's happy. Gino puts a mask on. And then sews a wig onto the top of the mask. Mm -hmm. Classic. Mm -hmm. So then you get to the mask versus mask. Who do you bring in? Mil Moscaris. The guy's never been unmasked to finally unmask Gino. Mm -hmm. When his hair grows back, he bleaches it blonde and goes on to be gorgeous Gino. Constantly reinventing himself. Mm -hmm. So you go to the hair, another hair match where you know Gino's blonde hair is going to be shaved. And you beat the baby face. 
and shave his head. <laughs> so it, it was that was the kind of booking that Paul did hmm. that kept people on their toes and would keep bringing them back because y- you couldn't call it. A- a- anybody in their right mind knew Gino's blonde hair is going. Yeah, it was. First of all, it was falling out at the time because he had fallen asleep while he bleached it, and it was all breaking yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, "Oh, they're just gonna shave it off." No, shave the baby nice. face. Wow. So this was all booked by Paul Bosch. All booked by Paul Bosch. And what are you doing at this point in time? Well, job? at this point in time, I'm still in high school. <laughs> Come on now, <laughs> easy and uh, not that old. But uh, during this time, you know, I'm I'm that kid and I'm learning. And during the summers, I would go and work at the ticket office selling tickets and doing odd jobs and during that time that's when i would pick up all the nuances and little things still not smartened up okay really oh god no please really and tom is you know so tom's four years old tom's 18 tom's training to break into the business we had um, a guy by the name of joe mercer joe pizzatola who was training ernie Holmes was that the steel curtain guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, yeah. Part of the okay. Yeah, Ernie Holmes. Ernie Holmes. So uh, we would go down there, and Tom would go down there to train. And Ernie had his first match. Tom had his first match in Bryan, Texas, just up the road a little bit. Um, it was I. I would be the dummy. I'd be the kid that would go in and take all those just stupid bumps. Just show show them how how it's done. <laughs> and in those days, nobody used a clothesline. And that was going to be, you're talking, this is 1978. Yeah, 1978, 1979 in in that time frame. And clothesline wasn't a move. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Duggan, you know, came in and Duggan used it for a finish for a while. But this was going to be Ernie's big finish, a clothesline. And I had to take this every night over and over and over and over again. He's practicing it? Yes. <laughs> and I'm just a kid, and I, I would just got the living crap beat out what of me. What did your but mom think about that? She didn't know. <laughs> All she knew was I was down there watching. <laughs> yeah. But my brother Tom, you know, for the, for those times when um, he was training and took it very seriously, as we all did, you know, the training took place in a wrecker service garage. So people would come in to get their cars, and you'd hear, Fabe, And if you're in the ring, you're getting the crap kicked out of you. Wow. And, oh, God, Tom used to beat the shit out of me just horribly. But, um, you know, that, so during that time, during the summers I'd work, and, and this is where, the point I was getting to, Gary Hart was the booker at that time for Dallas. So Gary Hart and Bronco Lubitsch, who was also representative for the Dallas office, they would come down, they would meet with Paul, on Fridays before the matches. And that's where they would go over what they were going to do for that night on that card. And Paul would have his ideas. He had the, the calendar with the dates on the champion and the guys that he was bringing in, and they would go over finishes. So the Dallas office would have to basically kind of approve what, what Paul was going to do, or they would work together. They would work together. So you wouldn't have so-and-so go over who's the champion in Dallas, or, or you wouldn't have somebody lose that's a champion in Dallas or whatever it was. Right. Right. Yeah. And and usually it was it was Gary trying to trying to salvage whatever he had in Dallas and trying to sell Paul and whatever they had in Dallas. And Paul and Gary didn't get along. But Gary was one of those guys, um one of the first that I saw like that that um hint of genius, just kind of crazy genius. 
And it was also one of the first guys that took a liking to me that would ask me my opinion on things. Mm. And I didn't know what the hell he was asking at the time because you think you're smart at that time and you really nobody ever smartened you. No one's ever said, Hey, this is no this is the real thing. No. You would have to pick it up on your own. No. How did you learn Carney? Just from being around the guys. Okay. Yeah. Uh tell you how I learned Carney. I guess explain what Carney is for some of this. Okay. Uh, Carney is is basically Pig Latin, yeah. uh, a second language that the in the carnivals, the Carnies, the guys that traveled in the carnivals from town to town, they had their own language, mm-hmm. so they could talk to each other in front of people. And people didn't know what they were saying. They gave a bottle of water to a bees otter, of wheeze otter. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the Furnum on the Vizet over this yeah. area. So I always love uh, when you say, like, hey, that girl's got nice tees And yeah. you're like, how hard is that to figure out? <laughs> exactly. You're not exactly fooling everybody. Exactly. Right. But so, 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 so Carney. I get, I get a phone call from my brother. He was uh, in uh, uh, California working for Michael Bell at the time. And he says, I want you to go get a movie and tell me what you learned. The name of the movie was Carney. starred Gary Busey and Jodie Foster. Wow. So I went and got the movie. I watched the movie. And I call him back, and I'm like, uh, yeah, Carnival's an awful lot like the wrestling business and blah, blah, blah. Tell him what I think that he wants to hear. And he's like, wrong, didn't get it, hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> and I go back and watch it again. And then the next time I talk to him, he's Spizik and Kizarni. I'm like, what the hell, man? I don't understand what you're saying. I just watch the movie I think in there somewhere, and I got to watch the movie again. I watch it in the movie. Gary Busey, who's the the clown, teaches his girlfriend Kiz Arnie, and that's how I learned Carney. Wow! And I just practiced and practiced and practiced, and I would just that time, especially being a, a kid, I'm a teenager in the locker room. You don't say shit. Mm-hmm. You know, eyes and ears open, mouth shut, and I would just listen. And I would, you know, pick up on things. And some guys did it so fast you couldn't understand anything they said. Yeah. Like when I started in 1990, majority of guys spoke Carney. Now nobody does. Yeah, that's I think, I think foreign language. Actually, rappers use it now, or right. something like that. But I can remember, like, what is? What are they talking about? Because they wouldn't, like you said, they would include you in. But then what, you would sort to pick it up because it was the secret language of the boys. Right? Yeah. And you and you there was nobody to teach you and sit you down. There wasn't a course and a test. Yeah. Okay. Uh Spizzy kids Arnie and Spizzle. Yeah. I was like, "No. You just had to learn it. You just had, you either picked it up or you didn't. Mm-hmm. And you were left behind." Mm-hmm. So that's how, how I had to learn. And again, I didn't for many years you, you don't use what you what you learn and, and hanging around different guys but Gary Hart was one who would ask me questions about things. And what'd you think about this? Um, hey, did you think that guy got over? I had no idea what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Got over. Uh, they really liked him. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, Bronco also kind of took a liking to me. And then when I, after I got out of high school and I started working there full time, you you just learn more and, and there's more opportunity and, and becoming friends with the boys where you just learn more stuff. It was a simple thing. Tully Blanchard taught me one time. I was ring announcing. I didn't wear a tie. And he said to me, he goes, I think the President of the United States would not wear a tie when he's speaking in front of a bunch of people. And so next week I wore a tie. And he said, he goes, 
think president of the United States wears a damn flip over the top knot. No, it's double Windsor. Taught me how to tie a double Windsor that night, and I've never worn anything but a double Windsor knot since then. Let me ask you this. You're around the business, obviously a huge fan. Your brother, Tom, uh, is training to wrestle. Did you ever have any aspirations of wrestling yourself? I did, and, and you know, I trained a little bit you know, with Tom during that time, blew my knee out. And when I did, Paul Bosch says, he goes, what are you doing? The money's on this side, and you don't have to take any bumps. You have longevity on this side. So... Stay in the office and don't go out because, you know, you got to you got to go from territory travel and you're not going to have any family life and so on and so forth. I got in the office, made good money. I was good at it. And slowly but surely I, I would get around. The bookers all came in to meet. And here I was the young kid that Paul was the old man. You know, he's out of touch. It's always the case with the old promoters. We're all out of touch. So they go and go to the young kid and, and try and just get everything they can out, out of them. So I was fortunate in that way to learn. And some of the guys that, that came through that that would teach, you know, some didn't. Some didn't care what you had to say or anything right, else. Right, right, right. So were you getting up to the position where you were kind of helping Paul with the booking? You know, in all my years there. Uh, as far as Paul and, and Houston and the booking and having any creative input at all, zero zilch. Wow. Um, he didn't want any help. Didn't want any. Well, not from me. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul was kind of, you know, one that he kept it all tight. And what he did was right. And he didn't really want to hear from anybody else. And especially if it was different. Now, the the other guys, we... we booked with the Dallas Territory and then in 1981-ish maybe Paul left the the Dallas booking office and started using the San Antonio booking office which was Southwest Championship Wrestling that was run by Joe Blanchard Wahoo was the booker at that time so Wahoo came in and Wahoo I thought that Wahoo was a talented booker I thought that Wahoo was good because the boys respected him well the only problem with that was involved in that whole thing was Tully. Right. <laughs> the typical promoter's son, right? Yeah. The way. And so, you know, Tully made it difficult for a lot of guys to, to kind of get over and, and get their stuff in. But at the same time, you know, I learned a lot from Tully. Really did. You know, we didn't always get along and uh, so on and so forth, but I learned an awful lot from him. And he was, he did know the business, but he thought he was the only one that knew the business too. So you had Wahoo. Wahoo didn't last long. So Tully became Booker when Wahoo left. So then they didn't want Tully to be the Booker. So then I think after Wahoo, I think Dick Slater came in as the Booker. Uh, Then they had the bad wreck that made Dickie crazy. And after that, Tully became the booker again. Then they bring in Buck Robley, and that didn't last too long. But I learned a lot from Buck. And that's one of the minds in the business that I feel is overlooked a lot was Buck Robley because he thought everything through. He was he was the first booker when I was refereeing and would lay out a match, and he positioned every single guy in the ring. Wow, gotcha. Methodically. Gotcha. And made sure every guy knew the nuance of, of the finish and where are you going to be? You know, what are you going to do? What's your reaction? Where are you going to be? What are you doing? And it was that attention to detail that, for me, at that time, I'd never seen before. So who were some of the, 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 the bigger stars that were in the, in the territory? 
Well, you know, it, Wahoo McDaniel was a huge star here. Jose Lothario, long time, just humongous draw. Jose drew against everybody. Wow. Old time. Because I never heard anything about him growing up yeah. in Canada. Well, I mean, in Canada. Who the, <laughs> who the hell are the stars in Canada? Come on. Um, you mentioned Gino Hernandez, though, and tell me right. a bit about him, because he was a guy that, like, I never even saw wrestle, but I heard, you know, he had so much potential. Obviously, he died very young of, a, right. of an overdose. Um, but you mentioned a couple times about how integral he was and how important he was to a lot of the stuff that you were doing. Gino, you know, Gino was, especially for Houston, Gino was that hometown kid that made good, mm-hmm. and he became a big star, got too big for his britches, became one of the greatest heels that, in my opinion, the business has ever had. Gino Hernandez would have been the best million-dollar man ever. Oh. Okay. Because Gino was the million-dollar man. Yeah, Gino was the guy that was flying Learjets to the town. It used to be, you know, Bill Watts would want to book Gino in Louisiana. Got an airport? They don't fly. I don't go. <laughs> and he would he would book, you know, a charter and How fly into town. So much money. Make good money. <laughs> he had outside. <laughs> no, he but but he also made great money in Houston. He only had to work Houston. He made huge money. But to charter a plane. I mean, that's a pretty you know. And he had he had wealthy stuff. friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also you know he also dated. You know, Farrah Fawcett would come into town. What? She would be on his arm. Uh, Bianca Jagger would come into town. She would be on his arm. Me? No. How did he meet up with them? There was a guy in Houston by the name of Walter Amon who, you, you heard of Studio 54? Yeah, of course. Okay, well, here in Houston, it was Judges. Okay. Same type of deal. And Walter was the one that ran uh, Judges here in Houston. They were best friends. So Walter liked to have Gino around. So yeah. whenever the celebrities would come in, bam, pair him up with Gino. Wow, Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. Oh, that's a good well, one. She's a Houston girl. Oh, okay. So she came into town often, and they would, you know. Yeah, 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 just kind of be be seen, be seen and all that good stuff. Okay. Exactly. So Gino was Gino was you know the 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 big, in my opinion, of a homemade star that made it big. And he, he went to Dallas. Um, Dallas, he did really well there with with the Von Erich kids. He also had a hell of a little run in Georgia for a time, but uh, I think that Paul didn't want to let him go. And Paul would send Paul would send him off to to go. First, he sent him up to Oregon, I think, and then he sent him to Detroit. Sent him to Mexico for a while to get him seasoned before he was going to bring him back. Mm. And when he came back, man, he was just red hot. Was there any other homegrown guys that were just in Houston? Tom, you know, okay. Tom, Tom was one of those that, that was a homegrown guy that you know Paul liked to do things with and uh, would always. He was in town. He always took care of him, had him on the card. Um, Tom Russell, you know Les Thornton. Yeah. You ever see Les? Les Thornton was old British, just double tough shooter. Um, nice guy, but a miserable, yeah. just a miserable brick. And Les was in the Dallas territory, and he comes in, and and Paul puts him in the opening match with Tom. Go fifteen minutes Broadway, which Les is like, I got to work with this kid for fifteen minutes, <laughs> and Tom is thinking, I got to work with this crusty old master for fifteen minutes. <laughs> And Les beat the hell out of him for the first probably eight minutes. And one of the first times in the, you talk about getting smartened up, I was probably 17 at the time. And I was sitting next to Paul. Paul was doing commentary. And Paul puts the microphone down and grabs me and says, get over there and tell your brother to get off of his ass and fight back. <laughs> 
And Tom was like, Les has shot him outside of the ring, and I go over there, and I go to help Tom up and say, hey, Paul said get off your ass and get in the ring and fight back, damn it. And he looks at me like, what the hell are you doing telling me anything, <laughs> you know? But yeah, that's funny quickly about Les Thornton. Uh, any British guy, if you said that name, you're not allowed to say his name uh, out loud. It's like you know uh, Cthulhu or something like that. Because I guess he's such such a bad reputation. If whenever somebody said his name, something unlucky would happen. So if wow. you if you if you were talking to Regal, I'm gonna say, "Let's stop! stop. Don't <laughs> say that name." So there you go. <laughs> well, good. That's good to know yeah. because next time I see Daryl, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, Les Thornton said, oh. "Go." Don't yeah. say it. It was Les, Les Thornton and Jeff Ports who were just double tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tough Brits like to beat everybody up. So was Houston, the, we, we were talking about it being hot. Now, was it something that was another victim of when Vince went national in the 80s? Were you still there? When did you split? I was. And and we were, we were that town that Vince couldn't conquer. Mm. Vince would come in and WWF would run the summit. We ran the same Houston Coliseum. We were wrestling in Houston. So Vince would come in, we'd run opposite, same night. Mm. And we'd load that card up. We'd have every, we'd have the NWA champion. Paul called in every favor that he could. And we'd load the card up and go, come on in, guys. You want to play? The other funny part about it was they would spend a lot of money. The number one station was 93Q in Houston. They spent a lot of money on advertising and, and doing ad buys. The sports guy... On the morning show, which was the top show in Houston, was Cleet Dumpster. He was our ring announcer. <laughs> so every time that he would do their plug, he would also go, and now it's time for the wrestling report this Friday night at <laughs> Sam Houston Coliseum. Right, 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 right. Because we paid him. You know, it was he was our ring announcer, but I didn't pay for ad. We didn't advertise. Didn't have to. No, we had TV, and we, we didn't do that. Because it must have been hard. Like, and I grew up in Winnipeg, and AWA was, was the, you know, the, the, the steel, the, the fortress of wrestling there. And Minneapolis as well, and then you had all these different territories, Dallas with Fritz and all that stuff. It must have been hard for Vince to, to get a lot of traction in the towns like that. Because like you said, I'm sure it was like that for him in Minneapolis. I know yeah. it was like that, you know, uh, we talk about all these different places. When did you start seeing a shift? Well, uh, when he hired me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But but it was, we, same thing with Watts. Um, if Vince went into Tulsa. Watts through Watts would run pre-shows against him, and it would be like WWE coming in town. Okay, Tulsa Fairgrounds, Hacksaw Jim Duggan free. Um, that's what we did. But in Houston, man, we'd bring in the champ. We'd bring in Paul. Just called everybody in, and sure. we we would kick their ass. At the same time, there was I think Paul was probably different than Bill in this way. WWE came in their ring. Ring crew got screwed up, and they didn't have a ring. And Bobby Heenan called Paul and asked for a favor. We didn't give him our ring, but we got him in touch with somebody that had a ring. Mm. Like, you could be a jerk. Right. But they were, you know, it was business, and it was a war, if you will. But at the same time, it was Bobby Heenan asking for a favor. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, no, you can't have our ring, and no, we're not going to let you borrow it. However, um, so-and-so's got a ring, and their number might be this. Right, right. So you, you would do that. But then, you know, in the that was in the mid-'80s, and, and we constantly, you know, Houston was the town that Vince, I don't know that Vince ever gave up. I know he never gave up. But in 1986, 
towards the end of 86, Missy Hyde and Eddie Gilbert were working for Mid-South or UWF at the time for Bill Watts. That's based out of Tulsa. Out of Tulsa, yes. And Eddie was one of my best friends. And I, he knew I was frustrated because I just was going nowhere in Houston. I was going to go work for Bill uh, for the UWF and, and be a part of, of his team over there. And going was, nowhere because Bosch would never let you contribute? Right. Yeah. And and Bill did. And I did Bill's TV, and I would go do Bill's TV. But that I was becoming more and more disenfranchised with Paul because Paul would get up and say, going, well, you're leaving three days out of the week to go work for Bill. And I got paid by Bill, and I didn't get paid if I wasn't in the office in Houston. And I was making a lot more with Bill. So I'm like, okay. My heart was in Houston, but I like money. So Eddie says, hey, I'm going to go meet with Vince McMahon. You interested? I was interested in what? He goes, going to work for Titan. I said, hell yeah. I mean, I I never even imagined that was a possibility. You know, at at that time, I'm 23. The only thing I'd ever done was be in Houston. Paul Bosch was my mentor. Um, all I'd heard was these horrible, evil stories about the, the nasty Titan sports in WWF. Last thing I wanted to do was go to New York. But I said, yeah. So when Eddie went up there, Eddie presented me as, hey, Vince, you know the guy that kicks your ass every time you come to Houston? He's interested in a job. Mm. I said, here's my number. And I called Vince every single day until he took my call. <laughs> and he gets like, you're persistent. God damn. <laughs> and the first conversation I had with him, he said, uh, would you relocate? I didn't even think about it. I said, yes. Mm-hmm. He said, well, you'd have to move to Stanford. Didn't even know where it was. <laughs> I got out my big road atlas that everybody <laughs> yeah. had. And I'm looking up. St- and, I, of course, I sp- I'm spelling it with an N instead of an M. <laughs> and I finally found it. I'm like going, oh, my God, that's a long ways away. <laughs> so that was, you know, we, we made the deal. Um, and that was a whole if you listen to something wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, we have an entire show on Houston wrestling, which which I tell the story about the very last show we did and, and Vince McMahon, which you can appreciate in a meeting with the with Paul's nephew, Paul Bosch's nephew, helped him run the the company, and Paul no showed the meeting, and they threw a swerve at us day of the show, and Vince stood up and dropped his pants, hmm. and I said, "God damn, you didn't even use Vaseline." Pulled his pants up, buttoned them, and looked at me. And way looked at him, and said, "Do we have anything else to discuss here?" So hold on, a second. so 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 why did he pull his pants down? <sighs> we got screwed, is why. Um, WWE got screwed. Or WWE got screwed by, um, Houston. by Houston. Yes, gotcha. on the last show, the they last kept the show, house. The last show in Houston was because didn't didn't Vince buy the territory or buy okay. the city from Paul? And didn't Paul? Did he? It was like a mm. Stu thing where he bought it from Stu and didn't pay him, and then the next year Stu got it back. Or something like that? No, it it was they wanted him to buy, and th- this is what always made me laugh about the wrestling business. Buy a territory from me, hey Chris. By the way, this ter- this this club here, this is my territory. I'm ten minutes down the street here, so um, I'm expecting you know my payoff here for let for letting you come in and perform yeah. here in Clear Lake. All right, right. It's America. You can't own a town. And out of respect for Paul, Vince had agreed to to pay him and to put him on the payroll and to take care of him. 
because now Vince is a juggernaut and he's going to take it either way. Right. But out of respect, which Vince has, especially to the old time. Right. Guys. Gotcha. And Vince made him a, a more than fair offer. Uh, an excellent piece offer. Piece of the house, piece of the gate, probably. And yeah. salary. Gotcha. But we need you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z for us. Right. Well, they didn't want to do X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do any of it. Mm-hmm. And then, so we do this last big show. Uh, long story short, uh, brought in everybody and their mother, out of respect to Paul, to kind of say goodbye for his retirement show. And we get there a few hours before the show. And they say, hey, we've decided we're going to go ahead and we think we deserve all the gate. That's what Houston says. Yeah. Okay. And that's when men dropped his pants. <laughs> and, and, I, and again... I'm 24 years old. I haven't even worked for Vince at this point. I don't, I'm more trying to think about, yeah, I lived in Connecticut. This is August of 1987. I had officially started work there April 1st. So I don't really know Vince that well, mm-hmm. but I'm scared for my life. <laughs> and I got, I, we got in the limo and, and everything was kind of, kind of calm, intense, nothing said. And then the, wooden deal that holds like the crystal glasses and everything in the middle of the limo big stretch limo went flying glass breaking everywhere and all this stuff it's throwing it he kicked it oh kicked it yeah and i'm like i'm so sorry i i didn't know i and he snapped from snapping to looking at me and going damn pal how would you know (laughs) just don't tell terry meaning don't tell hulk Mm. about what happened because Hulk was on the card? Because Hulk was on the card. And why not tell him? Uh, didn't want anybody to know. Didn't want the boys to say, I'm not working. You gotcha. Know, thinking so they're he, not going to. Even still, Vince still had the guys working. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, we, we put the show on. Put the show on in through a giant, like a WrestleMania party. We had a party for Paul, a farewell party after the show. So why would Vince have so much respect for Paul to do that? Because, you know, you would think Vince would just go F off and we're just going to, you know, pull the whole show then. You've heard this expression before, and I say it a lot on my show. Get the match in the ring. Mm-hmm. Who would have lost face there? The WWE. Right. Right. So it was a WWF show. Gotcha. Get the show in the ring. Give them a great show. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do business with these people again. And next time. Next time we're, we're going to come in and we're going to own this place. Wow. Took us a few years, but... We did it's it. Interesting. And do you have any? I mean, you don't have to give anything away if it's not protocol. But why would Bosch have done that? To keep all the money. I think it was his nephew, and I think it was just greed. And the the funny thing about it was, we had had an arrangement prior to that, and it was like an eighty twenty split, where Houston actually had a better cut than any of his other co promoters that he did around the country. Again, out of respect, and part of it was kind of to get me and to keep me happy on this side and, and keep everything going hmm. when we went into this last show vince's intent was because peter kept the the nephew kept asking what's the split what's the split what's the split and Vince said i'm not going to do the 80 20 split i promise you you guys will be very well taken care of and vince was going to do a 50 50 split with them hmm. on the on the everything and vince was good a 50 50 split but vince absorbs 100 percent of the cost yeah. And they kept it. And they controlled it. They had the ticket office. They they controlled all the cash. They controlled it. So even if uh, even if we wanted to, it would have been tough getting our money. Could have sued him. Could have done a lot of things. But he just put on, we put on a great show and said, this is the first day of the rest of our existence here. And they're going to go away. And they did. What did uh, Bosch say when you told him you were going to go work for Vince? 
<laughs> um, it's funny. He was upset. You know, I, I had asked for, and I always went to him for advice, too, but they felt I'd gone behind their back by calling Vince, and they felt that I was, you know, uh, abandoning them and that I'd turned my back on them, that, that I'd really betrayed them. And I was just trying to do, I was trying to do what was right for me. Well, sure. And they just were like, you know, you screwed us. Um, you've, you've gone to Vince and you're leaving us and now we have, <laughs> and now we have to pay someone else, <laughs> yeah. uh, more and, and they want more money than what we were paying you. And that, mm-hmm. that's a shoot too, by the way, because it was the, the person they hired to replace me wanted more money mm-hmm. and they paid it because it was a friend of theirs. Right. So it was sad. You know, I think uh, I'll share another one. This is another one from the story, which is classic Vince. So we do this show. The other part of the the other part of the show was my first time. Vince wants me to be the play by play guy and the host of the TV show for Houston. First time doing play by play. I'd never done play by play before. I'd done a little bit of color with Jim Ross on the Mid South show, but I'd never done play by play. Yeah. Well, to help me, he's going to give me Mike McGurk, who's Leroy McGurk's daughter, who's never done color <laughs> or TV of any kind, and Pete Doherty, the Duke of Dorchester, <laughs> who. He cuts an entertaining promo who had never done television either. <laughs> so it's my first night being played by play, and I'm doing this lead of a three-man booth. All of us, the blind leading the blind. Uh, right before I go on, uh, I had borrowed money from them. They called in the note that night. Long, Just long, crazy story. But at the end of the night, everything's done. Big party for Paul Bosch to celebrate Paul's retirement. retirement yeah. Okay. Hyatt Regency on Louisiana Street downtown. You've stayed there many times. Mm-hmm. Live band, just multiple bars, all this stuff. I get back to the room and I call I call Vince. Or actually Vince calls me. What are you doing? So I don't know. I'm uh, probably gonna go down, and meet some friends, have a beer. I'm gonna get drunk. Are you going down to the party? Well, hell no, I'm not going to that party. He says, oh, yes, you are. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down to that party. You're going to walk right up to Paul. You're going to walk right up to his nephew. You're going to shake their hand, look them in the eye, and thank them for everything they've ever done for you. Mm. And then you are going to be at that party until the last person leaves. Because that's the right thing to do. Mm. And I'm pissed. Mm. And I'm pouting. (laughs) And I'm like... All right, well, I'm going to take a shower. I'll see you down there. I'm not going down to that goddamn party. <laughs> you were going as the representative of yeah. the WWE. I'm thinking, wait a minute. You <laughs> son of a bitch. And it was, he sent me down. Mm. And and Pat was down there too, but it, you know, it was, he wasn't, he didn't go. But you're mad because Paul ripped you guys off. You don't want to have anything. Right. Right. Yeah, I didn't want to. In, 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 my, in my mind, it was, I don't want to let them see that they got to me. And that was Vince's point. That's why you're going to go down there. And you're going to smile. You're going to have a good time. You're going to eat the food that I'm paying for. And you're going to drink the booze I'm paying for. And you're going to dance. <laughs> and you're going to let every one of them know that you're going to be here after they're gone. Mm. And I'm like, all right. But it pissed me off. Oh, mm. God. 
Yeah, I'll see you down there. I'm not going down there. Isn't it amazing, like, you know, when you work for Vince for a long time, you really learn. I remember one time he, he he was yelling at me about something. He's like, you know, damn it, I'm trying to not just teach you lessons about wrestling, but teach you life lessons. And you, le- I learned a lot of stuff from that guy. Like, like with that little thing, even though you didn't want to go, it was the right thing to do to show everybody, hey, thumbs up. But also, you're giving a little stick and a right. little twist, yeah, twist the knife, you know. But it's like you learn a lot. I learned a lot of stuff like that. I'm teaching you how to be a man. <laughs> damn it! I know, Chris. This is the right thing for you to do. And yeah, it's like okay, but <laughs> I, I don't like it. And, and you know, he used to he used to say to us all the time about it. He goes. Sometimes in life, you gotta eat, eat caca. Shit. No, he would. He would. He would go. He go. You gotta eat caca. Now, sometimes that caca is served on a silver platter. Learn to love the taste, cause you're gonna eat a lot of it. And I have. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of smile and go. God, that was some good caca. <laughs> Thanks, boss. Hey, really appreciate that. And and you go through life and everything you do, man, you realize that you sometimes you just got to eat shit. Mm-hmm. Like it. Eat shit and like it. I got the exact same one. A couple last things. You mentioned Eddie Gilbert, and that's another guy like a Gino Hernandez that you hear about, but I never met him and never got really to Oh, see my God. You and Eddie would have, you and Eddie <laughs> would have torn the house down. Mm. Very, very similar in, in the way your brain works, but mm. also in, in matches and stuff like yeah, that. Interesting. Size-wise, you would have matched up. Personality-wise, when I say personality-wise, your ring psychology would have matched up in that it would have been great shit. Because Eddie, Eddie, in my opinion, was so far ahead of his time. Well, that's what you always hear. And, Even as a booker and as a worker and as all of these different things. Yeah, and, and everybody thought, you know, well, he's got a Napoleon complex. Eddie didn't care about working so much a lot of times he cared more about the story and everything else hmm. but when that some bitch put his working shoes on oh my god i loved working with eddie uh, he was he was just he was great why did uh, he never work for vince because he wanted to be that big fish in the small pond hmm. and he had other opportunities the reason he didn't go up uh, for vince in 1986 was because bill had offered him the book over Ken Mantell in Mid-South if he stayed around. Mm-hmm. And he thought learning under Bill Watts was more valuable than going to work for Vince as a, a manager or a mouthpiece oh, at a that man- time. Really? Yeah, Vince Vince wanted to bring him in as a manager and as a mouthpiece. How tall was he? Um, Oh, Eddie was like 5'10". So for now, he'd be the normal yeah. size. But back yeah. then, he was so small. Yeah, he but he wasn't. I mean, he really wasn't right. small. But I mean, for Vince was, Land, for Vince was. Land, yeah. yes. And and Vin, but he also had that great gift of gab, and he was, he was just that you know he could stick you and poke mm-hmm. you with a stick and everything. He was really good at that. So, but he had a great mind for the business, and and he loved coming up with ideas and coming up with things for other people. And he would he had just pages and pages. We carry around like a spiral notebook and have pages of notes. And things and finishes and just different things that he, that he would keep and he would always he always wanted to apply it to somebody else and right, right, right. and do that. So I, I loved working with Eddie. I loved working with Ken Mantell hmm. as well, who was another one who another was a great booker. Never, never met or never knew yeah, but about. Eddie Eddie was so far ahead of his time as far as booking when it came to work. Um, you know, Eddie doesn't get the credit for ECW. Right, you know, he, he was, he was, guys too, he right? was one of those first guys up there that was booking. Eddie doesn't get the credit for being the first one to see something in Paul Heyman and giving Paul that opportunity and bringing Paul to Alabama and, and working that Southwest Territory or uh, Continental 
territory and bringing Paul down, you know, bringing a Jewish kid from New York down to uh, Alabama and giving him a microphone yeah. saying go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, he just, he, his mind worked that way and he thought about everything. It was very detail oriented. What did you uh, go to, to events? What was your job? What was your title when you got hired? I didn't have one. Just as a guy to come on in. And I, I sat, I, I, I would sit with, when I first got up there, I would sit with uh, Ed Cohen mm-hmm. in Booking, mm-hmm. in Booking the Towns. I'd sit with that Basil. That was a limp, right? Yeah. Limp yeah. yeah. And I'd sit with Basil, who was in charge of promotions and marketing. Didn't call it marketing then. It was promotions. Um, sat with Pat in Booking. But Joel Watts and I came up at the same time. And Joel was going to take over and be the uh, the Kevin Joel Dunn. Watts? Joel Watts, Bill Watts' son. Oh, okay. And so Joel was going to take over the television studio that was being built at that time. Well, they needed somebody to do all the international and the uh, cable programming because it was it was being done by a guy, nice guy, but he wasn't a creative. He would just write matches down. They didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. There was no cohesiveness to right, anything. Right, right. No stories. And so I got that. And they said, go go do international, take over all the cable properties. So I did all those. Joel left in January of 88. Mm-hmm. And there was nobody nobody else there. And I was there. And Vince was like, proceed, do this. And, and I just inherited it all. So I did it. A lot of respects and before I was even asked to do it, but because it needed to be done. Joel wasn't there. I was. I did it. And he realized, well, you do it. Mm-hmm. So then I got the title of supervising producer. And then um, I just was never big on on titles. Steve Taylor, who was the still photographer for years, back then we didn't have computers. So they actually used to do interoffice mail and you'd get memos. We got this memo one time and it had a list of people. And so-and-so is vice president of this. And this one's vice president of that. This was vice president of garbage detail. And this was vice president of this. And Vince comes over at the TV studio. And that was a different world. Those of us at the TV studio, we only wore ties if we knew Vince was coming in. We had a camera. And we would see his car coming in. And everybody would get their ties and put their ties on. <laughs> um but Vince walks in and Steve and I are sitting there and he says, boy, I wish I would have been over at the uh, tower. The, not the, We didn't call it the tower at the time. Over at 1055 the other day, he goes, oh, yeah, why is that? He goes, well, we heard you were walking down the hall and just everybody you bumped into, you named vice president. <laughs> and for whatever reason, that went up his ass sideways. <laughs> That's a very prestigious title, pal. And... um but it was, I, I just, I, I adopted the, the TV studio. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd never run a TV. I'd, mm-hmm. had never, I'd been in the TV studio here at Channel 39 locally and edited the shows for Houston for years. But then I'd never been in a TV studio in my life. Mm. And now I'm running it. And I'm hiring editors and, 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 and doing time cards and all this other crap. I just wanted to be a wrestler. That's, <laughs> but that's the secret to the longevity that you've had is, is you have to learn all the, – the more uh, skills and the more aspects of the business you learn, the more you'll be hired and be employed. Well, yeah, it was I, – I think Vince will tell you, and, and this, was, this is funny, and uh, I was speaking to someone the other night from WWE who, who was laughing and says, you know, I probably disagreed with Vince more than 
anybody. You did. I did. Yeah. Um, when we were, were sitting here, like if it was just three of us here, Vince and I would go toe to toe. And sometimes it could be pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. However, when we walked out that door, whatever he had come to a decision on, I was 100% behind it. As you and, should and, be. And I, and I was going to support it. As a talent, it. too, you have to right. be that way. Yeah, You do. And if that gets your reputation as a yes man, then I was a yes man. However, when it was my time to do my job and to fight him and to give him my ideas, I did that worse than anybody and i'll you talk about life lessons pat patterson pulls me aside one day after a particularly brutal session with vince and i mean we got nasty i mean it was we would really get nasty with each other and pat says you know he is our boss he pays us and we have a very close relationship here and we we work we work closely and we're tight-knit Instead of just telling him his ideas suck and they're the shits, try putting two words in front of it, followed up with another alternative. Just say, what if, and pitch something else. Because this way, you're making him think about something else, and you're not telling him, hey, the idea that you just poured your heart out is the drizzling shit. Which nobody likes to hear. Right. Right. But we we had that relationship that we oh god that sucks yeah yeah and after a while that grates and Pat just those two words I use uh, practically every day mm-hmm. and instead of saying you know no I don't want to do that I say okay um cool but what if we tried it this way what do you think about that yeah. now you got to defend your your idea and you got to think about mine mm-hmm. so. You talk about life lessons. Those those are the things that you can use in, in every day in your life. Dealing with your kids and and your wife. Right, 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 <laughs> you know. Right, right. I was like, all right, yeah, baby, that's a really good idea. But but what what if, what if we had <laughs> Japanese tonight <laughs> instead of uh, and and those little things and, and, and Vince you know would, would say we were on the plane one one day and somebody said something about how how much we fought and and he laughed. And he says, yeah, I says, Bruce probably wouldn't be here if he didn't tell me to go f- myself for so many years. Yeah. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, once you're surrounded by legit yes men, he likes to have yeah. guys around that give an actual opinion. Yeah. And, and I never and he's the one that taught me that he's mm-hmm. the one that always said, I need your head. I, I don't want to hear I don't want to hear my idea regurgitated. Right. If it's good. Great, let's improve on it. But if it's not, I need to hear it because not all my ideas are are great. And I'll say, boy, you can say that again. (laughs) What if you just took all my ideas (laughs) and then it'd be good? What was it like when you saw him at the Raw 25th anniversary? I assume you probably hadn't seen him in a while. I hadn't, and it was kind of like out of a movie when I when I first saw him because I was walking towards the gorilla position about 10 minutes before the show and there was no one in the hallway it was an empty hallway at barclays and he came out of his office and he was in front of me he didn't see me and i just yelled vince mcmahon and he stopped in his tracks and just without turning around says brucey poo and turned around and shook hands and said have fun and he went and did his thing because i knew he was in the first segment yeah i wasn't about to that wasn't the time to talk and then we we talked at the end and just had a a very short good to see you thank you for having me Mm -hmm. and i hope to see you again soon yeah yeah, yeah. and that was it yeah 
but it was great to see him. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Like you said, it, whenever you go back there, it's always fun. Like that 25th was hard for me because I'm not working there right now either. And there were so many people to see. Yeah. It's hard because you feel like you're jobbing everybody out because you're just saying hi for two seconds. But there's so much to do as always. And so many people, that's why I just hung out in the writer's room where you were there. Right. And Brian was there. Because at least, listen, I can't see everyone, but at least I can hang out with a couple people and have a little bit of a fun conversation. That was a sanctuary. It was. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I always hang out. And I either hang out in talent relations or in the writer's room because it's just crazy everywhere else, you know? No, it was, it was fun. It was good, like you say, to see everybody. But, yeah. it, you know, it was, it was a whirlwind mm -hmm. as well. Well, and it wasn't the time people were always like, well, did you talk to so-and-so about this? Did you talk to so-and-so about that? I'm like, no. We all had our things to do. We all had our little parts. Yeah. And um, I could just see going down and knocking on Vince's door and saying, hey, Vince, listen, instead of me just coming in and saying I love you, how about if I came in and I did this? And I'm like, no. There's 60 people here. No. You know? well, why didn't you get more of your shit in? Because it wasn't my spot. Yeah. It was. I was happy to be there. He wanted uh, a Rolodex of as many people. Oh, there's that right. guy. There's this guy. There's that guy. How was it for you putting that costume back on again? The paint and everything. Brutal. I had to buy a new one. Um, <laughs> I, I had. I had thrown. I threw my old one out the window right down the street here uh, into Galveston Bay. I did an appearance, and I had the the suit. Uh, the jacket, the tie, and the shirt, and everything. And I'd taken it all off after the appearance. Was sitting in the front seat of my car, driving over Galveston Bay. Gorilla Monsoon told me the story about throwing his stuff off the George Washington Bridge. Yeah. And I, I just had a hair, and I threw it out the window. What year was that? That was in 2000. And when did we move to Friendswood? 13, so something it was, like that. Okay, so it was quite recently. Though. Yeah, that, 2013. That was, that was the end of Brother Love, throwing the That was it. Window. I was done. <laughs> I was done. And um, I, I, I I, did it. You know, they call. And here's here's the asshole in me. When they initially called me, I said, yeah, I'll think about it. I said, no. Well. <laughs> and both of us ended up there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, I don't want to go. And then, of course, you get the call, VKM. Let me, what's going on? I'm like, I don't just, just do it. And then, you know, the Jedi mind trick happens again, right? That's funny. I didn't get the VKM call. I did get another call from someone else yeah, okay. um, who, who, <laughs> who had a message from VKM, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> which was, which is, that's God. That's funny. I didn't know that. And, and I was like, you know, I, that was silly. I mean, I didn't mean I'll think about it. It was just, uh, I'm a big are. star now. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> But but last before we go, I want to talk about something in wrestling. You do a lot of live shows. You guys are doing stuff. I mean, I think it's, we're on tour, but you're going to be in Tampa after the hockey game. I'm going to be in Sunrise, Florida, down Fort Lauderdale at the Florida Panthers. Oh, after the Panther game. Yes. I mean, is, is this part of, of, the, of the kind of the success? Now you do quite a few road shows as well? We do. We follow the WWE special events. And for this one, we did... Uh, in New York, played Barclays Center, and after an NBA game, that was incredible. Now, from that, are you that, doing it in the arena, or what do you do? We did it in the practice court. Uh, they set up a, a, oh, okay, gotcha. a stage and everything in the practice wow. court and filled that up, and it was amazing, absolutely and, and amazing. People are coming. They 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 yes. that, they're excited. They know the show. Yeah. And, wow. and we do a stand-up. We tell stories that we can't tell on the air. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little more risque, but it's a lot of fun. And, and we have a lot of visual aids as well that, that make it um, even more fun. We have special guests from time to time. So you never know who the hell is going to show up. Right. We're going to be at uh, WrestleMania at House of Blues the Saturday before. So it's, it's fun. And, you know, like you and I are talking, you, you get a 
you get to meet the people that listen to you and the people that that enjoy your stuff. And and it blows my mind for me when somebody comes up and they say, hey, you know, I went through this hard time and I'm on dialysis and I listen to you and you get me through my treatments. Right. And you're like, wow, we touch people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty incredible. But um, it's humbling, too, when you, sure, sure, you know, sure. you're going to walk out here tonight in a little bit and they're they're there for you. Mm-hmm. They're there to listen to what you do. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm sorry. That's Here's a great story. You and I were at the men's club here in Houston after show. And Billy Gibbons was easy top. Yeah. Was sitting right on the same, same little booth with us. And we were back in the VIP area away from everybody. And one of CC top songs came on and you looked at me and Gibbons was sitting there and just talking and everything. And you go, man, is that not the coolest thing? Can you imagine you're out in public and one of your songs comes on <laughs> and like, that's him, that's him. And we're sitting here next to him. And that's a kick. Yeah. That's a kick. When I, when I went to WrestleMania last year, Russell Con, and people were wearing my t-shirts. Mm-hmm. That's a kick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't that marketable as Bruce Pritchard, you know, working in the office and stuff. And now to, to, to be a part of it and have people buying your stuff is pretty neat. Well, like I said, it's a great show and it's, it's cool to have you back. And I'm glad we got to hook up today, man. This is, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, it's been my pleasure. There's now hours more of material. We could yeah. Say but you never invited time. me before. So well, we never like... had the chat. Well, actually you've been on before. When, uh, one time. Well, come I mean, on with well, Bischoff. Well, I know you're a big that star. That was to plug was... you. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's do now. Let's do. So okay. we'll make it more. All right. Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard right here on Talk is Jericho. All right, thanks to Bruce Pritchard. Check out the Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard podcast. That uh, title is kind of confusing. Hosted by Bruce Pritchard and, of course, Conrad Thompson, who was here for the 83 weeks uh, Bischoff versus Jericho rebuttal a few weeks ago. Go check that out. They do a great episode every week. They release uh, new episodes every Friday. They just did three hours on Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Also, recent episodes on King of the Ring 1993, The British Bulldog, the 1992 Royal Rumble. It's a great podcast. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, MLWRadio.com, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. And speaking of great podcasts, Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea is going to have all the live podcasts you can handle and all for free when you book your cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We're setting sail October 27th to the 31st from Miami to the Bahamas. Still cabins available, but once you book your cabin, remember this every Everything is included in the price. All the live podcasts, concerts, comedy shows, meet and greets, autograph signings, wrestling matches, includes your food, everything. And here's what we know for sure. There will be a match with the Alpha Club, the Bucks of Jericho, or is it Y2 Jackson versus who? I think we're going to find out this Monday on Being the Elite. It's going to blow the hinges off the wrestling world. Also, Impact versus Ring of Honor. And kicking that off is Sammy Callahan versus Marty Skrull. That's a dream match right there. How about a live talk is Jericho with Rookie the Dragon Steamboat? Live talk is Jericho remembering Eddie Guerrero with Conan or Rey Mysterio. Uh, live talk is Jericho with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, the greatest commentating team in WWE history. Live talk is Jericho with the entire Bullet Club. Skrull, Omega, Cody, Young Bucks, Adam Page, all there. Mick Foley doing his 20 years of hell stand-up show. And so much more, including the first round of the Ring of Honor, Sea of Honor tournament, bracket A, Lethal versus Whitmer, Daniels versus Delirious, Skrull versus Titus, Young versus Gordon, bracket B, Mark Briscoe versus Ferrara, Page versus Kazarian, Chibaga versus Beer City Bruiser, 
Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. There's also Keeping It 100 versus Killing the Town. Beyond the Darkness is going to be there. Unprofessional Wrestling, uh, Brad Williams, Craig Gass, Ron Funches, Sal and Q from the Impractical Jokers, and bringing on the rock and roll, Fozzie. Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour. Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. King, The Stir. This is going to be a rock and roll party, man. It's going to be amazing. So don't forget to join us. Uh, go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Book your cabin now. Noel Foley will be there. So Calval. Don't miss out on history. It's going to be one of the greatest, uh, greatest, greatest uh, vacations that anybody could ever experience. I guarantee it. And I also guarantee uh, uh, this Wednesday, returning Dave Meltzer. He was just on the show a few weeks ago. But we're going to be talking about the 30-year anniversary of Bruiser Brody's untimely death. That's right. The whole show will deal with Bruiser Brody and the conspiracy if that's what you want to call it, that saw him murdered in a shower in Puerto Rico about 30 years ago back in July of 1988. Melser, Jericho returning, talking all about Bruiser Brody. This one is one you do not want to miss. We will see you Friday. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah boy! Something to Jericho with Bruce Pitchard. <laughs>